Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and also connect with us on social media and join the Travel Club. You know, I took my first vacation and international trip at the end of January. And if you've been following and listening, you know that was to the Maldives. On the last day, as I was having my breakfast in the Maldives, I looked out at the ocean. I took a deep breath and I literally began to cry. It was at that moment that I realized how much I needed that time, that vacation, that travel experience, and how much I had missed it. The feeling overwhelmed me, and I knew that in that moment, how travel and the lack of it had impacted and affected my mental health. So today, I'm talking about that, and I'm joined by a travel writer who has written about the many ways travel is good for your mental health, and a psychiatrist who has not only written about it, but understands it from a clinical perspective. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute, and right now, some travel news. Have you ever heard of the van life or van build? Well, I had neither until recently, but apparently it's on the rise and it's been a thing for the past three or four years, especially for millennials. I do remember it was a thing back in the 60s with hippies, but nothing like it is today. Van life is for people who wander, almost like nomads, but they return home now and again. Or it's just people who hit the road for extended periods in their van. So many of them also do what's called van build. That's when you take everything out of the van and rebuild it with some creature comforts like a bed or kitchenette. This allows those in the van life to explore the road and embark on an adventure to feed their wanderlust. Nothing like the van life of the 60s, which seemed to be more like a makeshift van build. The van life that's been trending since 2017 among millennials and these five black women who have been doing it solo is more of a lifestyle. I came across their story in XO Nicole, a woman's lifestyle digital destination for women of color. In the article, they connected with five black women who have converted their vans into living spaces and have embarked upon van life. They are a military veteran, police officer, criminal justice instructor, life coach, and entrepreneur, a mental health professional who is now a certified life coach, a full-time EMT scheduler assistant, a lover of outdoors, an African-American travel and lifestyle content creator, and an entrepreneur. You can check out their full story at xonicole.com. That's x-o-n-e-c-o-l.com. It really is a fascinating story. United Airlines is flying to JFK for the first time since 2015. Last Sunday, United Airlines flew to New York's JFK International Airport, which has been more than five years ago. It was a 7.30 a.m. flight from Los Angeles and a 9.30 a.m. flight from San Francisco, both operated on Boeing 737-300s. 
United will operate five flights a week from JFK to Los Angeles and five flights a week San Francisco, doubling that in May. United's New York area service has been concentrated at its Newark Liberty International Airport hub and at New York's LaGuardia Airport, both since they merged with and took over Continental Airline routes in 2010. And this is a move to take advantage of the traffic lull due to and since the pandemic. Airlines scheduled service in New York State is down 56% in April compared with the same month of 2019. More than any other state, this is according to Airlines for America, an industry group that represents most large U.S. carriers. The national average is a 32% decline. That makes it easier for airlines to add service. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby, who took the reins last May, has said that leaving JFK in October of 2015 was a mistake and had expressed a desire to return to the New York City airport because moving transcontinental flights to Newark allowed competitor American Airlines to win some very lucrative corporate clients. Other carriers are using low air traffic to move into airports that were harder to enter previously because of congestion. We're talking about Southwest Airlines. Last year, they added new service from United's Chicago O'Hare hub and Houston Intercontinental. So let's see what other changes are on the horizon as the airlines jockey for space. And New York has launched the nation's first vaccine passport and others are working on similar ideas, but many details still have to be worked out. So New Yorkers can now pull up a code on their cell phone or a printout to prove they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that causes it. Excelsior Pass is the first in the nation, the app championed by Governor Andrew Cuomo to support the recovery of industries most affected by the pandemic is funded by the state and available free to businesses and anyone with vaccine records or test results in New York. People will be able to prove their health status with a digital QR code. They'll need to download the Excelsior app, enter the name, date of birth, and zip code. And of course, they'll have to answer a series of personal questions to confirm their identity. The data will come from the state's vaccine registry and will be linked to testing data from a number of approved testing companies. The New York system, built on IBM's Digital Health Pass platform, is provided via blockchain technology. So neither IBM nor any business will have access to private medical information. The pass could be, and would be, used for large-scale venues like Madison Square Garden. As soon as next week, it will be accepted at dozens of events, arts and entertainment venues statewide. A venue will simply scan the QR code and get a green check mark or a red one. The Excelsior Pass is part of the vaccine passport that many are racing to establish for domestic and international travel. Which brings me to my next topic, the vaccine passport. Now I've often seen on social media the question and argument of a vaccine passport, including on our own pages. And in these comments, when asked what you feel about a vaccine passport, the comments are more about how someone feels about the vaccine. Now understand a vaccine passport is not an argument about the vaccine itself. It's a question about having a digital health card. Health cards already exist. 
any traveler who has had vaccines to travel like yellow fever, tetanus, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and others have received a yellow card indicating which vaccines they've had and the date you had them. I have one and I keep it in my passport jacket. The vaccine passport that is being proposed today would be an electronic or digital version of that same card. It would be an app that would store the information and keep up-to-date information on your health status, including all vaccines you've had, including COVID-19 and any COVID tests you've had in one place. It's digital proof. The biggest challenge for the digital vaccine passport would be linking all the systems together. Now, while they're working on that, those who are administering the vaccines are reporting to CDC. It will take some time. Until it becomes more universal, we still have the yellow card that travel clinics have issued, and now there's the white COVID vaccine card that those who have been vaccinated have received. Well, most have. But in the meantime, Staples, the office supplier retailer, will laminate the COVID-19 vaccine cards for free through May 1st at their stores nationwide. Laminations are limited to one per customer and are not eligible on Instacart orders. Cards should only be laminated after the cardholder has been fully vaccinated. So that means the second shot for those who are receiving the Pfizer or the Moderna. A laminated card could become very useful in the future for travel. Entering those large venues like we talked about earlier for concerts and sporting arenas and possibly even employment. Well, that's another point of discussion. Can employers ask if you've been vaccinated? That's another topic. Well, laminations shouldn't hurt the card, according to Staples representative. But if the card has stickers that were printed using a thermal printer, then the heat used during the lamination process will turn the sticker black and it will ruin it. So if you want to know whether or not you have one of those thermal stickers on your card, you can just scratch it with your fingernail. And if it turns black, it's thermal and you should avoid the lamination. Instead, what you could do is make a photocopy of the card and then have that photocopy laminated. The CDC recommends keeping your card as a proof of vaccination in case you need it in the future. And if you lose the card, it can likely be replaced. Try going back to the facility where you received the vaccine to get a replacement card. Your local public health department or your state department of health should also have a record of your immunization. It's also suggested to take a photo of the card to keep in your phone. And just be sure not to post an image of your card to social media because it has sensitive personal information and it's already being talked about that people are taking those photos and fraudulently making vaccination cards. So please stop posting your card on social media. Now let's talk about why rental car prices have gone crazy. <laughs> yes, if you've looked up renting a car lately, you know that the prices are through the roof. So if you're considering doing it, you wanna do so early and expect to pay a lot. When travel, especially air travel, came to a near halt last year, rental car companies suffered too. Rental cars were parked in unused lots, like ballparks around the country. Then you could rent a car for a fraction of the price, or you could even buy one at a very good price as a used car. The industry sold off more than half a million cars, about a third 
of their combined fleets just to generate cash they needed to survive. Following a year of deep losses, rental car companies have been unable to rebuild their fleets, especially with auto plants shut by a shortage of computer chips needed to build cars. This has led to a severe shortage of rental cars and vacation hotspots, resulting in sky-high prices. And if you wait too late, it'll be completely sold out. Now, according to Autoslash, it's a site that helps car renters find low prices. Last weekend in Florida, 18 of the state's 20 largest airports were totally sold out of cars. He said cars were also sold out at the airport in Phoenix and much of Hawaii. And he expects the same to be the case in most upcoming weekends into the summer. A search of car rental sites showed a Kia Rio, for example, a subcompact car going for $300 a day in Orlando. And on Maui and Hawaii, the only rental car available the following week is a Yukon for $500 a day. As travel has seen a steady increase, most providers, talking about airlines, hotels, or car rental companies, don't want to bring capacity back too fast, only to see travel fall off again. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and why travel is good for your mental health. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you visit the website, travelingculturati.com, and connect with me on social media. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. I have now traveled internationally twice since the pandemic, and what I've noticed on just two trips, 10 flights, six airports, various modes of transportation and four hotels is that nothing is the same. Just as the United States and other countries have had different ways in which the pandemic and protocols have been implemented and handled, so too have travel suppliers. From a full COVID kit, including a pair of gloves, face mask, cleansing wipes, and hand sanitizer on one airline, to being handed just a cleansing wipe on others. One airline had a wellness ambassador in full or partial hazmat covering. The others just donned face masks of varying kinds. The only consistent is the cleansing wipes and the wearing of face masks. Hotels vary too. Some have full COVID kits and others have only sanitizing wipes and hand sanitizer. Masks required in all common areas is a consistent. Some destinations only require masks indoors or when social distancing is not possible. But outdoors, I saw very few masks, especially on younger people. Levels of service differ as well. On one airline, the service was pretty much normal, but just scaled back a bit. While on another airline, not only was the overall food selection minimal, so was the business class service. Glasses and other utensils were replaced with disposable ones and everything was served all together on one tray. And the staff even felt a need to apologize for the difference and lack of service. And what about service in hotels? Some provide housekeeping automatically, 
and others only provided upon request. All in all, everyone, everywhere, is trying to figure it out to restart travel. All suppliers have a COVID protocol, but what that looks like is up to the company. So if you're considering travel or have travel plans, go to the company's website to know and prepare for your travels and what that experience will be. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Travel and change of place impart new vigor to the mind. Seneca. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust. Travel can be one of the most rewarding forms of introspection. Lawrence Durrell. Today we're exploring travel and how it impacts your mental health. Those are all quotes that I found very poignant to the discussion. Joining me on the topic is David Levine, a freelance writer, editor, and author, most recently of the Hudson Valley, the first 250 million years. Well, hello, David, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Well, the Hudson Valley, the first 250 million years, I'm intrigued. Well, good. That's the idea of the title, is to get you intrigued. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been covering the Hudson Valley for regional magazines around here for a long time, and I collected a bunch of my history and some travel pieces, actually, in a book that goes all the way back to what the area was like when the dinosaurs were walking around. So it goes back 250 million years. Wow. And I used to watch this program, I'm trying to remember which channel it was on or network, doesn't matter, but how the states got their shapes. And they also did other series about rivers and bodies of water. And it's amazing the amount of history that revolves around rivers and just landscapes. Yeah. It's one of the oldest centers of you know, Western civilization in the U.S., being first found by the Europeans in 1609. So it had 400 years of history, since, you know, not including, of course, the natives who were here 10,000 years before that. Wow. Well, I digress. <laughs> Today we're right. talking about mental health and travel. And in 2018, you penned an article on travel and mental health in health.usnews.com, how travel bolsters your mental health. What brought you to that article? As you said, I'm a contributing writer for U.S. News and World Report. I've been working for them for about five years now, I guess. And my beat is health and wellness, and that includes mental health. So back then, I was doing a lot of mental health articles, including ways to stay mentally healthy and to improve your mental wellness. So one of the ways to do that is, as all travelers know, is to get on the road. It's not only fun, but it actually, there are scientific studies that prove that it does good things for your mind and your mental well-being. My husband and I had a trip planned to the Maldives for January, this past January, and we were contemplating canceling it because it had been a year since we had done any international travel and actually domestic travel as well. But we decided as the time approached to move forward, to go ahead and do it. And on the last day of our time in the Maldives, I had this emotional moment and it overwhelmed me and I really didn't realize that it was there. And it was because I had missed it and I understood at that moment the benefits that it brought me. So I really did have an emotional moment about our last day there and thinking about how long it had been since we've had that experience. 
yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, those of us who haven't traveled since the pandemic began, you know, my wife and I play the game. Where are we going to go first when we feel safe? We don't feel safe yet, but, you know, it's coming, it's soon. And we always say, you know, where's our first trip going to be? Right. Of course, we can't agree, but in a sense, it doesn't matter. And that, too, is part of it, isn't it? Having that discussion on where are we going to (laughs) go? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's one of the points in the article that you mentioned is that experience is more important to your mental well-being than what I call stuff, things. The anticipation of doing something and then actually doing it has a far longer-lasting effect on your mental well-being than, you know, getting a new toy, getting a new TV, or, you know, all the stuff we've been buying since the pandemic began doesn't affect you the same way an experience does and looking forward to an experience does. Yeah, so how timely an article you wrote three years ago, how timely it is now. As you said, you are a freelance writer, editor, and author. What authorities did you consult for your findings to help you out with the article? I talked to two psychiatrists, one who practices in Virginia, another who is a director of research at a mind-body institute at Mass General Hospital in Boston. And I scoured the internet for studies that looked at travel and well-being. So the combination of phone interviews and internet research to come up with a kind of stuff. Yeah, and some of it is just experience ourselves. And you mentioned one of the points in the article, how experience outweighs stuff. It is so true. And, and it's something that people say a lot that when we come to a point in our lives, we treasure and value more experiences than we do those material things when we go back. Right. And And then for that little point, I I found a paper that was published in a journal called Psychological Science, and it concluded, and I'm quoting here, people derive more happiness from the anticipation of experiential purchases, and that waiting for an experience tends to be more pleasurable and exciting than waiting to receive a material good. So yeah, when planning to go on that trip to the Maldives, is going to last a lot longer than planning to buy the new toaster that you need or, you know, even something more fun. Experience lasts forever. Goods are temporary. So experience is what builds good mental health. Absolutely. What are some of those other key points that you published in the article? So I actually listed 12, and, you know, I'll sort of go through them and then we can stop and talk about them. The first one is is that travel is what the psychologists call behavioral activation which is sort of a fancy way for saying it gets you out of the house doing something. One of the strange things about mental illness like depression is it actually gets in the way of you doing the things that might help you. So when you're depressed, you basically want to stay inside and don't do anything. You tend to isolate. You don't want to do the things that typically give you pleasure. So one of the ways to break free from that is to go out and do something. For those who are clinically depressed, it might just be going out for a walk. That can be a big step. But for those of us who are, say, stuck in February, seasonal affective disorder, just, you know, the winter blahs, going somewhere, activating yourself is a great way to sort of snap out of your funk and improve your mental well-being right there. Well, and I can certainly attest to that because certainly the winter does change things. During the pandemic, one of the things that I relished was going out for a long two-hour walk every day, especially in the summer. You know, it's a social distancing activity, (laughs) but it got me out, you know, and and fresh air and new scenery and activity and all of those things. So I really relished that. Winter changed it a little bit. 
became a bit more challenging in Chicago. You know, winter's hard for everybody, whether there's a plague or not. It's hard to go places and do things. But, you know, the more you can, the happier you'll be. We already talked about experience over stuff, but what are some of those other key points? Continuing our discussion about being outdoors, travel gets you out in nature, and nature has incredible mental wellness effects. In fact, I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with the Japanese term shinrin-yoku, which is a Japanese term that means literally forest bathing, means taking a bath in nature, essentially. And that experience, not only is it fun and soothing, but studies have shown that people who spend time out in nature have better scores for depression and anxiety. They feel more vigorous. It actually tends to lower blood pressure. It lowers some of the you know hormones that make you feel unhappy or unhealthy. So just being in nature. You know, in fact, the study, they had people walk either in an urban setting or a forest. And the people who walked in the forest had much better scores than all these things. So just being in nature, whether, you know, it's your own backyard or a trip to Yosemite, all of that has very positive effects for mental health. It really does. And I think that it's something small, especially that we can do now as we're all trying to determine what our level of comfort is with travel and the pandemic and, you know, how we navigate that. So some of the other ways that travel helps your mental focus as anyone who travels knows, inevitably something goes wrong. You know, something doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, or something breaks, or your map is wrong, or your GPS fails you, or the reservations aren't correct. So it it challenges you, and that is a, a good way to improve both your, you know, your creative thinking and your problem solving, but also just the way you look at life and sort of appreciate things when they go well and learn how to deal with things when they go wrong. You know, this is especially useful. One of the sources I talked to said, you know, whenever things go wrong, he tells his kids, this is part of travel. It's never going to go perfect. But it's also not only a learning experience, it can be fun, it can be funny, it'll be a great story once you get back home. So it teaches you resilience. And resilience is one of the top four or five things that psychologists say build happiness. If people are trying to look for happiness in life, Becoming resilient to the difficulties in life is one of the first things they recommend. Well, certainly I know from my own experience, if I can solve a problem or figure something out, it's an accomplishment. And when you feel accomplished, you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And it's more than just feeling good. It helps rewire your brain into seeing the world basically in a more positive way. It's easy to say, oh, woe is me. Everything's wrong. You know, this is terrible. But once you address it and you say, okay, well, you know, the reservations aren't right or we got a bad room that we have to upgrade, and then you take care of it, like you say, you realize, okay, the world isn't terrible. It just throws some potholes in your way, and all you have to do is drive around them and drive over them, and then the world's pretty good. And that resilience is a great way to help people essentially achieve more happiness in life. I always say in travel, expect the unexpected. (laughs) You just have to. That's what travel is. Yeah, for sure. And we talked a little bit earlier about the winter blues. I think some places call it sundowners. And some people have real 
disorders when it comes to winter and the winter blues. It's a real thing. It's not just a moment, but it can really be something that can wreak havoc on your mental health and well-being. And that was one of the things that you stated, that it can alleviate seasonal affective disorder. So let's talk about that. Yeah, we can. And it doesn't mean you have to take a cruise to the Bahamas or, you know, spend the week on the beach in Cancun. Though that's not so bad, is it? (laughs) But just going to a local park or, you know, just anywhere outside getting sunshine is one of the key ways to combat seasonal affective disorder. You know, one of it is low vitamin D levels, which is made in your skin by sunshine. So getting outdoors as much as you can helps you combat that. But again, also, it's getting you out of the house. If you can travel in the winter, just doing something is always better than doing nothing. And even if it's a short trip to, let's say, the Hudson Valley, or, you know, if you're in Chicago, just over to Wisconsin or something to go skiing, those short trips can help break you out of that winter funk. Assuming it's mild to moderate SAD, which most of us, you know, there are more severe cases that may require some medication and some medical treatment. But for most of us, it's just the winter blues, and it's perfectly normal, and it happens every year. And the best way to get around that is to get out. Again, whether it's down the street or across the country or across the world when that's allowable, it certainly helps. Yeah, and to get some of that vitamin D, which you get get in the winter as well. It's just whenever the sun is shining that you will get some of that vitamin D. And that's why we decided to stay with our annual trip. We got married in January. It was at that time, 36 years ago, was lots of snow on the ground. We were actually in D.C. at the time. But it gave us something to look forward to, to escape the winter blues every January. We would go someplace really warm. Although a couple of times we did go to another destination that was a bit chilly. But again, going back to travel boosts your mental health. It still made a difference. And some of the other things that you pointed out is that break from your daily stress. Yeah, for sure. Especially in winter when every day seems like every other day. Of course, during the pandemic, that's been true for a year now. But, you know, in most normal years, at least in the summer, you can do things on the weekend or you can take a long weekend. You can go to a local lake or whatever. But in the winter, when you're stuck at home, because especially us northerners and easterners, because the weather's bad, every day becomes every other day. It's definitely Groundhog Day. And that's an easy way to slip into a mild depression or seasonal affective disorder or just plain boredom. So doing something, again, is better than doing nothing. It gets you away from work for a little while. Uh, One hopes you put the phone down and maybe you can turn it off and get off of electronics for a little while. And, you know, focus on sort of the other things that are important to you, your family, your friends, wherever you are, the, the beauty of the location. If it's a, you know, an athletic type activity like you go on a skiing trip you know focus on that part of it just get away from the day-to-day monotony that brings all of us down eventually travel is a great way to break that cycle another point you make here is that it stretches you yeah and i guess that's sort of similar if you're doing something different anytime you go somewhere new you don't know the place you don't know where the restaurants are you don't know the layout of the city or the area that you're in it's kind of back to that sort of problem-solving thing. It makes you step out of your comfort zone, maybe do some things you don't normally do, even eat kind of foods that you wouldn't normally eat, or go to, say, a museum or a cultural event that you wouldn't normally go to. And again, what better way to improve your mental health than to learn something? And, and that's exactly what that is. 
And it lends to adventure. A lot of times when we use the word adventure and travel, people automatically think of extreme adventure, but it's not really. There's soft adventure. There's anything that gets you out of your comfort zone. And that doesn't mean that you have to bungee jump or go skydiving or anything like that, but it could be a cultural lesson or class or just the experience in travel in itself because travel in itself is an adventure. Absolutely, yep. Sometimes just checking into a hotel can be a several hour endeavor and that can be an adventure. It might not be a fun adventure, but it's part of the experience of travel. And again, it does stretch you and how you deal with these new and different experiences, which is good for all of us. The human interaction that you speak about in the article, I think is so important, especially when you're traveling internationally and getting to meet people along the way, local people and experiencing new cultures. Right, of course. Again, it's a lot of these sort of cross-pollinate. You meet people who are different from you whether it's on a tour that you're with people from different parts of the country, or like you said, you meet people who live in wherever you're visiting and they expose you to new ideas or new cultures. The bottom line is we're social animals and we crave social interaction. One of the things that most people have missed dearly during the pandemic is, is that, that not only can't we you know, interact with our own close family and friends, we can't go find new people. We can't even hang out at a bar and just talk to somebody sitting next to us and, you know, hearing a new story or go to an event and see some new music and talk to people about that. Traveling, of course, encourages that even to a larger degree. So if you're somewhere new, like I said, you'll meet people from different parts of the world. You'll learn about their experiences. They'll learn about your experiences. And that interaction is just a very important part of being human. It certainly is. And I'm recognizing more about myself during this time that I didn't really consider myself an extrovert or someone who was overly social, but I'm realizing how much social activity I do need. <laughs> and I didn't yeah, recognize no, that until it was taken from me. I'm with you. I mean, I'm a freelance writer, so I spend most of my life alone in my office. <laughs> and I'm happy with that. You know, it just suits my personality. But yeah, I've been surprised at how much I've missed social interaction, seeing my friends playing the sports that I like to play and traveling and just meeting people from around the world and sharing an experience, even if it's just like you said, a glass of wine on a deck somewhere. Yeah, so I've, I've labeled myself an ambivert. I said, maybe I'm an ambivert all along because- Oh, I like that. Yeah, well, it's a term that I learned about a couple of years ago, that person that has more of that balance of an introvert and an extrovert. Sometimes I hit a wall, when things are, are normal, I hit a wall with being social and it's like, I need to retreat to my own space and have that gotta, quiet and alone time. <laughs> You weren't born in March by any chance, were you? No, August. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm okay. one of those signs that people immediately think you're an extrovert and everything, which is a Leo. Right. And I do have a lot of those qualities. It's just that I need a balance of the two. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, my daughter's a Leo and she's the same way. She's 90% of the time she wants to be at the center of the universe and like <laughs> 10% of the time she wants to go away and hide. So it about right. <laughs> Let's talk about the physical activity because I think a lot of us have missed that and some of us have been creative in the ways that we have maintained that, whether it's at home or because gyms were closed, you know, some of it have opened back up, but getting that physical activity has been difficult. But how important is that physical activity? 
Oh, exercise and physical activity is, uh, most doctors will tell you that's probably one of the top two or three things you can do for your overall health. It just helps every aspect of your body. In the same way that we're social creatures, we're also creatures that we're built to move and to do things. The sedentary lifestyle is not what we evolved to be. So anything that gets you moving in any way is good for your health. One of the things about travel is that, you know, you, you tend to move more when you're on the road than you do at home. Uh, it doesn't mean, like you said, you have to go downhill skiing, just walking around the city. You probably walk more on vacation than you do in your own house. You know, you, if you're visiting museums or architecture or whatever, or even just being on the beach and taking that beach stroll is more than a lot of people do when they're home working. So that exercise you get when you're traveling is significant for all health not just mental health. So, you know, the more you can do to get your body moving, the better off you'll be, and travel is one way. In fact, I think the last point I have in my story is that everything that travel brings you might help you live longer. I found a paper from 2013 from a group of retirement industries, the U.S. Travel Association, and they followed the Framingham Heart Study, which is a famous study that's been following tens of thousands of nurses for probably close to 100 years now and covering everything about health. And they found that those who reported that they traveled, especially retirees, were better off in preventing things like dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. They had lower risk of heart attack and coronary disease. Men who did not take a vacation had a 20% higher risk of death and a 30% higher risk of dying from heart disease than those who did take a vacation. So vacation is not just fun. It also is good for your health, including your mental health. Wow, those are really startling figures that you're yeah. you're you're mentioning, and I, and I, I wonder if technology has really played a part in that. That it's made us a bit more sedentary, or it's made us you know more tunnel vision in our lives. And oh, I know yeah. this study you did back in 2013, or the white paper that you did, but yeah, yeah those no are question. startling. There's no question that technology has made things worse in that regard, especially for younger people. So that's one of the severe downsides of our technological world. And when you think about our parents and great-grandparents more hands-on, even if they were academics, they still were more hands-on with activities and things just because of the way that the world was then. But again, those numbers are startling. 20% higher risk of death and about 30% higher risk of dying from heart disease. And so I really implore everyone to really pay attention to those numbers and think about travel more in that health realm. Because what's also startling is the number of weeks of vacation that are left on the table in America. Yeah, for sure. Americans are notorious for not taking vacations. And we, we tend to laugh at the Europeans, uh, you know, who take all of August off. But really, they've got it right. We've got it wrong. We should be all of us taking as much vacation as we can and traveling as much as we can and work less and we'll all be happier and healthier for it. Absolutely. Such a great topic to talk about, travel and your mental health, and just overall being grateful for the things that you've been afforded, and especially if you get to travel and how travel will really make you think about gratitude and how it's going to really, as the article is titled, how 
travel bolsters your mental health. David, thank you so much for joining me today. What a pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So how can folks connect with you to read more of your pieces and to get the book, The Hudson Valley, First 250 Million Um, Years? I am on LinkedIn. I don't know if you put links on your blog or, you know, underneath the radio, but if you search for me, David Levine, freelance on LinkedIn, I'm not a big social media guy, I admit, so I don't have a Twitter handle and I don't have a Facebook page. To find the book, just Google Hudson Valley, the first 250 million years. I'm pretty sure it's the only book with that title out there. And you'll find it, and I hope you'll look at it, and you'll look to buy it from your local independent bookstore. It's also, of course, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the big guys. But I strongly suggest you support your local bookstore and buy it from them if you're interested. I'm also on U.S. News and World Report's website. You can find me there. I have two columns a week on health and wellness. So I'm out there. Google me. Fantastic. David Levine, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks again. When I come back, I'll have a chat with Dr. Jean Kim, MD, psychiatrist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at George Washington University to continue the conversation on travel and your mental health. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. You know what to do head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com. And I also want you to follow us on social media. We have so much fun there and a lot of tips, a lot of information, and a lot of sharing of our travel experiences. You know, we do things like Thirsty Thursday, Wind Down Wednesday, and a whole lot of other things. Travel Tip Tuesday, for example, too. And it's a great way for us to share in our travel experiences. So please sign up so you can share in the experience as well. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. The pandemic certainly has been a crisis of public health that has left many with mental anguish for a plethora of reasons having to give up some of the things we love, including travel, many have suffered quality of life, self included. This culture report, I'm continuing the conversation of travel and your mental health. Joining me is Dr. Jean Kim, MD, a psychiatrist and a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at George Washington University. Well, hello, Dr. Kim, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, are you a traveler yourself? Uh, definitely. I guess before COVID, it was one of my favorite hobbies and something I really looked forward to doing a lot all the time. So it's been quite a shift. <laughs> that it has been. What have you missed about traveling? Yeah, being able to just go and not worry about a life-threatening <laughs> pandemic and worrying about all the people, too, that all the businesses that were supported by the industry, all the people who were writing blogs, and just a whole culture around travel that was thriving, and it's kind of on hold for the most part, at least 
diminished for now. Yeah, travel really is a culture in and of itself. Right. Now, you wrote a blog and piece in Psychology Today on why travel is good for your mental health. Now, you wrote this in 2018, and we'll talk about all of the differences between then and now, but what prompted you to write the piece then? Sure. I guess I just noticed that in in my own life and then, of course, in the people around me and people I knew, patients as well, that travel just had a key role, I felt like, in people's happiness and made a big difference in terms of what our goals are and how we you know, gear ourselves up for the next trip, even at work, when you're trying to think about the next vacation and what kind of motivates us to keep going. And I noticed that travel was kind of a big feature of what kind of actually keeps us mentally happy and healthy. So I wanted to write about that. And, you know, you said some things that are really key, and I think the part of it that we don't always recognize is that there are three parts to travel. There's the planning of it, which is that anticipation and everything that goes along with it. Of course, it's the travel itself and the enjoyment of the destination itself and all of those things that it brings. But also then there's that afterwards and hoping to look forward to something again. And so I think we often forget about the before and after and really only think about what happens when we travel. But Mm -hmm. how does that planning and anticipation lend itself to our mental health? Right, right. And all the different phases, like you said. I mean, the trip itself definitely is the key experience, but anticipating it, looking forward to it. And then afterwards is is a big factor, too. Um, Just the memories that you carry with you that are kind of priceless. They certainly are. Now, you stated in your piece that travel is a worthy and sometimes underestimated goal for our daily existence. Why is that? Sometimes it gets easy to kind of get into a rut where you're kind of trapped in your routine and kind of doing the same things over and over. And travel, it kind of helps break you out of that. It makes you feel like there's something around the corner that you really enjoy and can look forward to and that helps with your purpose and motivation and your creativity even when you know that something good that you can look forward to is there. Creativity as well. I I often find that with myself that I think of things in those moments of travel that I wouldn't otherwise think of and being exposed to different cultural aspects kind of gives me creative license as well. Right. Now, you also state that travel acts beneficially on multiple levels. What are those multiple levels of benefits that travel provides us? Obviously, the travel itself, if you are going somewhere that's beautiful or fun or different, so you're going to, just on an experiential level, you're going to be stimulated and see lots of new things. And that's actually kind of good for your brain too because you're actually literally exposing yourself to new experiences that expand your cognition and kind of force your brain to work in a fun way in a way that it doesn't feel like work so you're even just looking up subway maps or looking at a new location scoping it out all of that kind of forces you to to kind of put you on your toes in in a good way in a novel way and that kind of process I think helps your brain kind of literally light up in new ways and that process kind of helps you moving forward as well and then just in terms of life experience too you're literally 
going somewhere that's different, exposing yourself to new people, ways of life, culture. So you become a more broad-minded person as well on a cultural level. And also know that you can rise to challenges because travel can be challenging too. And so on that level, I think it's good as well because it's pushing you kind of out of your comfort zone just a little bit to the point where it's healthy for you. Well, yeah, anytime you have to enact those survival skills or troubleshooting or problem-solving skills. And it makes me think of part of how you opened your piece talking about a personal experience that you had at a very young age. I'm not sure if it was your first trip or an early trip that you had while you were in college. Tell us about that. I guess as a reward for graduation, I did a tour of Norway and Scandinavia, and I went alone. I joined this tour bus full of just total strangers. They were all Australians and South Africans. They were from all over the world. But yeah, we we were on this bus semi-budget camping tour where we stayed in cabins, made our own food, and just had this long trip all across Scandinavia. And I guess at the top of Norway, I got pretty ill, actually, because I got stomach flu and even with all that, all those trials and tribulations and the exhaustion, all of that was really good for me because it kind of made me realize that I could handle. And I was very socially anxious at the time too. So just put throwing myself in a situation where I was literally with a bunch of strangers and knowing that I could get along with them and, and bond on this trip, that was very helpful for my personal growth as well. Well, traveling certainly is learning. You did mention in your piece that so many Americans reportedly decline to take any eligible vacation during the year and tend to overwork themselves. What does that do to us mentally? Yeah, I think that's a big issue with America's mindset and our culture. We're very work-driven, work-oriented. To some extent, we can't help it. Yeah, there's something to be said about the benefits and minimum wage and so forth and other things we have in our society that make people forced to work all the time. But also even people who just have a mindset that they just got to work, work, work to get to the next tier or next recognition or whatever they're looking for and next promotion. And instead of looking at stepping back and like what makes us happy is when you know we can relax and kind of look at our lives in a broader way and go on vacations with our families or our friends ourselves and not just focus on just the carrot right in front of us and I think yeah we have an issue with that in America where we just don't incentivize self-care that much. And how important is self-care? It's crucial we need to you know we're stressed out country in general I think obviously this pandemic has just magnified it and made it that much worse but even before COVID I think we were kind of overheated society that kind of put so many pressures on people especially I think mothers have it tough too they have to juggle work and families and and there's just a lot of pressures that we're, we're already pushing people and we don't give ourselves a break sometimes we can't but if we can we should emphasize it. Certainly. And having those breaks, what does that do to us? How does that improve us? Everyone needs a break. <laughs> so, I mean, vacation is, is so key to everyone's sanity in some ways because we need to stop. We need to sometimes just literally take time to smell the daisies and just appreciate 
life as is and the little things. There's a whole business around or therapy trend around mindfulness where you just have to literally look at what's around you and appreciate it and on its own level. And we don't have time for that anymore. And we kind of need to do that. And travel is definitely part of that process, I think. Certainly it is. And today, I think that we are, of course, dealing with different stresses that travel presents. How do we deal with that today? It was a big game changer. COVID has made some of us feel kind of pretty trapped, but we are literally trapped if we, we can't safely leave our homes and neighborhoods and everything is a threat to us, which has been pretty awful for people and the social distancing and isolation it's been tough for people but there were you know ways to cope with it i mean there are some silver linings that people have noticed that they've started trying to notice things in their immediate areas like i think park people have gone to local like day trips local areas a lot more noticing like i personally didn't know there were so many parks around me like that i I think there was one that I found that was like 15 minutes away, this beautiful reservoir with a really unique trail that had all these unusual flora and branches. And I just never even knew about these places. And this pandemic has forced me to kind of look at what's right around me for new options. Any closing thoughts on the subject today? Yeah, I think just any sort of change of environment or change of scene, I think it does the trick. It doesn't have to, like you said, it doesn't have to be flying across the globe. Um, So any shift in perspective is really helpful for your mindset, I think. Well, Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to reading some more of your pieces in psychology today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit travelingculturati.com for more information.